Hello, gentlemen. In my mind, I'm gone to Carolina. You like that? Jared, you look weepy. I'm not weepy. I'm, 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 uh, uh, I'm tearless. I'm, I'm playing this for you guys. I know why you're playing this. Yeah, we know. Blah, blah, I mean, you're blah, coming blah. back from Carolina. You are back. Hold on. Shh. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, people. We are back for another episode of the capital T, capital H, capital E, Soccer Dad Pod. Um, you remember the name. I did. It's pretty easy one to remember. It's kind of mm. why I picked it. Didn't want to get too cerebral. <clears throat> and I was really surprised it was available. So we took it. Um, I'm I'm back from vacation. Zach, you're back from vacation. How was yours? Oh, our, our, our guest intro host is also back from vacation. So Zach, you first. Yeah, we went to Tennessee, went to the Smoky Mountains. I got to ride horses for the first time in my life. Got to zip line. <laughs> the four-legged version. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, Got a little ink while we were there. How what? scared were you on on uh, the zip lining? You were zip lining was no. I, you weren't scared. Not at all. Wait, no, wait, wait. Grady was. Wait, wait, wait. Ink. Yeah, we're going back to the ink. Yeah, let's let's. Th- so the story before I show because it's it's compared to our guests' tattoo, uh, not quite the same. But I, Mandy has since we started dating, my wife has always grabbed my wrist and drawn a little heart on the wrist. And she started doing it with the kids. Well, my daughter's 18, Ansley, going to Truman in the fall. She goes, I want to get that tattooed on my wrist. I was like, you know what? I will too. So now I have <laughs> Mandy's drawing of a little bitty heart on my wrist. It's kind of like the opposite version of a teardrop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Prison tat. That is not yeah, a prison Yeah, so I, I've tat got tat. My, my, my biker uh, jacket is on order. <laughs> Were and, you drunk? Uh, no. It was 9.30 in the morning. 9.30 in the morning. That's yeah. all. How, how long, because I mean, this is clearly an audio podcast. Yeah. So our listeners cannot see it. Nope. Um, it's awfully small. It is. How long? Uh, about 30 seconds. 30 seconds. <laughs> yep. Shit. Did they pay you? No. No, the, was it in practice? Minimum. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Well, we have a guest host with us today on the intro uh, before our named guest. Uh, we have a repeat visitor, repeat customer, the Mr. Steve Petcher. How's it going, Petch? Great, great. Uh, my tattoo got, is a little bit bigger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a bit. <laughs> well, let's, uh, we're talking about vacation re- uh, returning from, because you guys are a little bit in pseudo off-season, even though a lot of teams are, have been participating up until really the last weekend, last weekend. Um, where, where'd you head off to? Uh, my oldest daughter lives up in Seattle, outside Seattle, and they have a cabin up in the mountains about an hour and a half um, away. So we were up there. We spent a week up there. Was it 105 there? It was high of 80 every day. Uh, not a cloud in the sky. Geez. But I turned her on to the yeah. podcast. She And uh, she was in tears. Not laughing, but cr- actually crying, being emotional when she listened. Not my podcast, <laughs> to, to Don Ebert's <laughs> podcast. And I think she sent, JB, you, you she, a direct she message. She did. I, I get this message and... Uh, 
clearly came in. It was a name I didn't recognize. And uh, I just have to say, you know, this is it's a, a trip down memory lane. And I, I was crying hearing it. And thank you. And I'm like, hmm, Patch is partying with his daughter out there. Isn't he? <laughs> think about this, Patch. I think what's fascinating the most about that era, that specific episode What's fascinating to me, I'll repeat that, is the implications of that trade and who went where and who came where and the gentlemen that were involved in that that trade and and what they do in our world of soccer. It is fascinating. I mean, those three, four names are instrumental in multiple regions on what is going on in our today's landscape. Agreed. Yeah. Now, it is one of those things. I mean, do do you kind of like, you know, going back to that trade? What year was the trade? It was uh, eighty six. Eighty six. So, quick recap: you and Ebert go west, and Kavanaugh was and, and Polly Garcia come to come east. Yeah. Um, and obviously, everybody knows Jim's story. You know, with worldwide and everything else, and. You know what Don has done out there with strikers, and you know the the other parts of his career. You know, and, and you make this U-turn, you come back, and clearly you're an anchor here. Do you do you, do you look at that trade and like, is is it one of those like really special moments as part of your career that was like above the game, or is it just something that you're like, that's what happened, and you know, and the dominoes fell where they where they lie now. Yeah, it, it was it was strange in the fact that. Ebes and I had been playing for the Steamers for so long, and then Tony Glavin took over as the head coach, and two days later we're in the office and get both getting shipped out to L.A., which the story, as I told you before, is, is pretty crazy. And yeah. Steamers end up folding, and you know we're employed out in Los Angeles. But the key to that whole thing was I allowed that trade to happen so Jim Cavanaugh was able to come back to St. Louis, and as they say, the rest is history. I always tell Cavs, if I wouldn't have allowed that trade, I don't know if there's a building at Westport. Yeah. Or yeah, a stadium. No kidding. You know, <laughs> right. Which I know there's some other people very instrumental there. <laughs> I think this warrants a Steve Petcher slash soccer dad suite down on market. Ooh. You would think it. at least for one game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where's the love now? Speaking of love, um, you know, we, we do need to thank our supporters of the show, specifically uh, Bill and Chris over at the Pinnacle Loan Group, they've, they've been awesome helping us spread the word, get, get the episodes a little bit further pushed out. Uh, and then Crescent Plumbing Supply. Um, Zach, I don't think we've talked about them yet because I, I think about you when we talk about this because you've went through that. Yeah. And it sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Is there, it, it, what is worse, getting a tattoo or renovating your kitchen? Oh, kitchen all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'm not sure which one's more permanent, though. Mm, well, probably the tattoo. The, yeah, the, the tattoo's a little more permanent. Seconds. But the kitchen felt longer. More painful? Oh, yeah. No, it, that process sucks. And deciding on the type of sink that you want, the depth, the, where the garbage is Were, were you goes. the kind of couple, though, where you were, did you have an opinion or did you just give a shit? I, and because you didn't give a shit, you then were in trouble? So no, no, my no rule was, listen, if you want my opinion... Ask me. Wow. But if you don't want it, don't ask me. She never can, can even we, talked can, to you then, yeah, did she? So yeah. she would come, and I, would, I, I said, listen, don't give me, don't ask me what I want. Give me two or three things and say, here are the three things I'm thinking. 
I, <laughs> which yeah. one do you like best? I, I told Kim, like, <laughs> look, bring me the two photos that you like the best. <laughs> yes. Show me the one that you really want and then hold the other one aside. Exactly. And, and then I'll pick. Yeah. I, that's I, how we did. I, I didn't have much stake <laughs> in the game uh, as yeah. far as the types of things like that. The, the sync layout was important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. uh, that's well, why I buy new. Pinnacle yeah. points. Pinnacle points of the day. Uh, it's been a while since we've done this. It's yes. true. So who, I'll go first. You've been banking them. Well, haven't I haven't been banking <laughs> them, but I have one tweet that just tickles me pink. Like, and it comes from... Like smiley or yeah, just, anger. Just would you look at that. Okay. You know, oh, would, you, would you look at that? Can't wait. Wayne Rooney. He won't find it easy here. It sounds mad, but players come in and find it's a tough league. I'm going to assume that you're talking about <laughs> Messi. Am I close? Yeah. He's got, he's, I mean, five I, I goals saw that. in he's, 90 minutes. Yeah. Or he's averaging minutes. five goals in 90 minutes. He's got three goals, <laughs> but like two assists. I mean,. Now, you know, I know Cruz Azul is in last place. Um, I don't know what happened in Atlanta. Atlanta's way more talented than they showed, but they look like a bag of dicks. I mean, they, they defensively in the gaps, I mean, you could drive a car through the middle of the field where he plays at. Yeah, I believe my reply to one of the comments was a Brentwood Friday night co-ed team would have scored against that defense. I, You know, <laughs> but you have to give credit when credit's due because he's putting the biscuit in the basket, if you will. In that tweet from how much success Wayne Rooney had and how much success he had when he came here, um, I just that, that's that, that just tickles me, if yeah, you will, because but, but he so, won't find it easy in this league. Suffice to say, he has it's not been played a league game yet. He hasn't played a league game. Okay. Both leagues cup. Yep. Uh, they are currently in dead last. They have 12 games remaining, and they are 12 points out of playoff spot. Yeah, we were doing the math last night because my wife was like, they're going to win the East. And I'm like, no. They need the 27 points-ish. They, the experts think they need 27 points in 12 games to even make the playoffs. Yeah. No, it, it, it's I, – I don't – look, if they ended up at ninth, eighth maybe, seventh if you're pushing it, would also require all the other teams completely shitting the bed. Yeah, so, they can't beat all the teams that need no. to not have points as no, well. Unless they play them. Right. Yes. That's the only when when they have the that's control, the but the that's it. But they can't control how many wins Atlanta continues to have. I'll be interested to see how they do in Atlanta and if he plays on turf when there's seventy thousand people in Mercedes. It's a different. I, I will say I, I follow Messi and have for a long, long time. I got to see him live you in speak Barcelona. Spanish? I I can understand oh, okay. some, but no. But. <laughs> His effort last night, I haven't seen that level of effort from him since the World Cup in any sort of league game. Not at PSG, not even at Barca. I mean, we Specifically when he lost the ball very minimal yes. times and how he pressed back. Yes, pressed back. He was allowing the other players to, to make mistakes. Who's the left winger on that team now? Is it is it Robert uh, Taylor? Is it Mbappe? Because he looks like freaking all world now with <laughs> yeah. that dude on the team. Well, you talking me, about Robert let Taylor? Me, let yeah. Me, let me yes. Ask Petch, Petch, you're you've got exponentially more soccer brain than the three of us combined. Uh, out of the gate, messy. Two games in, you've seen the highlights. If you haven't watched the games, um, you know what, what's your quick thirty second synopsis? You know, a week into the Messi era. I, I watched the I watched the Atlanta game last night and. It, it, they were just giving him way too much room. I mean, a lot of space. So, the guy that I was watching closely was Busquets. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not a ton of energy. No. No. But <laughs> always in the right place and just gives out unbelievable passes. Yes. 
messy last night. The give and go that he did to himself off the post. I mean, who, <laughs> who pulled that off? I, Beckham set that up. He made a trade for that goal post. <laughs> How about yeah. the pride on Beckham's face? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. He's, well, ha- he's having fun. That's pretty slick. And my, yeah. is it uh, Jorge Mas? Is it his name? The, the other owner. Own, owner? Yeah. Yeah. What a All right. dang. Pinnacle point to Zach, your turn. Hit it. Women's World Cup. I mean, it's again tonight. Uh, we've got Norway. Is that Netherlands. Right? Netherlands. Netherlands. And uh, beat the snot out of Vietnam on Saturday and uh, or Friday. <clears throat> and I'm excited. I think I like the women's game a lot. And I think we have another opportunity to win at what, sixth? World Cup? Is that right? I don't know. I think it's three six. in a row. Yeah. yeah. So, what your primary takeaway after Game One? You know the, the the Twitterville on all the other teams and how they're looking to date. Um, over under. Where where are you on the U.S. women? I think we've got a really good chance of. Are we the favorite still? I think so. We have to be. We won it last, right? Yeah. I, I think until somebody knocks us down yep and maybe the netherlands can do that i doubt it but i think france has a, a decent shot um some other teams are doing well so i'm just excited that it's it's going on because i think it's, it just brings even more exposure i mean we've looking at the sign behind us with some of those folks yeah and um, you were also talking about how excited you are about to listen and continue to watch alexi lalas's coverage <laughs> <laughs> salt uh, eyeball. Yeah, I, 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 I have to be careful because I, I also made a comment about another person and their their broadcasting abilities last night. Um, but the coverage of these games is we've got to get better. Yeah, it's just you think about the the baseball side of things, the basketball, the football. Those are endemic memories that we have of broadcasts and things for these games. The calls. The, the calls all yes. fit. Like, there's yeah. a synergy. I think Carly Lloyd and the German girl with short hair, they've been on point. Yeah. There's because, good analysis. Yeah. It's just the emotional side of it. Just you know? hire Brits. Yeah. They sound cooler. <laughs> it's a little bit more laid back, you know. It's got a flow to it. It's a global game, right? It, again, it's not a negative. It's just, I think we could do better. And I think it would help on the viewership yep. i really do um if, if you're not a, a true soccer fan and you're listening to some of these guys and the the, the nerding out that they do on, on the tactical side of it and you're talking to a, a guy who's probably watching for the first time because Messi's playing yeah. this is not where you need to be doing that let let's let the story play out and it, and highlight those things not dig in and just ugh. is there anything to be said about the women's world cup and the games being aired on FS1. Uh, do you will they start airing those games on a national type, you know, two, four, five, thirty ESPN type network when we get to the I don't knockout know. round? That's a good question. Does anybody know? Because I, does uh, every? I don't think everybody has FS1. And well, the, the third I, game I think is on at two a.m. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, it's, that the, sucks. The, yeah, yeah. Well, Amsterdam will be open. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, my uh, pinnacle point three of the day, I'm going to stay in the soccer world. I'm not going to go off the rails too far here. Uh, it is the reboot of the bronze boot. Uh, oh, yeah, I saw that. Coming back. Uh, SLU versus SIUE. Uh, and they will be having that fine match. 
down at City Park. Both men and women's. Women's yeah, first. Right? Yeah. Yeah, back to back, right? Same night. That'll be a good night. For um, anybody that really wants to be involved in St. Louis soccer and really wants to go out and celebrate it, you're going to get about five hours, probably three to five hours of, of gameplay in between. That'll be a good night. Well, I think for me, the reason I brought it up is it, it, it seems as if kind of this uh, centrifuge of a fact that the, the city SC, the stadium, uh, really just the, the overall popularity of the game. And frankly, now with the team and the facility and kind of all this attention, I think a lot of people are realizing that these older stories, these older rivalries, et cetera, they're part of the reason why that all exists now. So the fact that they're bringing that game back and doing it there, you know, I, I think it's one of those full circle moments that it's going to be awesome. I, I think it'll be one of those things. And Patch, give me, let me let me know what you think. You know, when we go to city games, it is a who's who, right? When you walk around, you see literally generations of ex-teammates to coaches to kids that you've you've worked with, and on and on and on. That game that night probably is going to be. A multiplier effect because everybody is going to be from those programs for the most part oh yeah for sure because it's, it's it's like city it's a neutral situation but um i'm going to actually probably come full circle personally because i saw them play each other down at bush stadium mm-hmm. you know i don't know right. remember how long ago that was maybe joey might be able to tell us but um but yeah that was a long time ago but I don't know. Are you guys going to be still standing in that little corner? One hundred. Okay. That's it. Yep. All right. Just That's making what? sure. Did you not buy seats or? <laughs> so I was in, I was informed by my accountant that I'm making season ticket payments for a seat <laughs> that I have. <laughs> but, but I think it's on the other end of the stadium. Well, I, you know, we we talked about this. I our seats are in two hundred four. That's a sit down section. You're, you're right above me because yeah. I'm in one hundred four. And. Ours are Most people sit in that section. I'm 149. Yeah. Great seats. Yeah. I, just, I love them. But I, I like to be up and about. Same here. I mean, and I like to shake hands and yep. say hi to my pals and check out new tattoos. Well, I mean, but logistically, too, I mean, we've, we've stood in every corner of, yeah. of, of the space. If you go to the northeast corner, that is closer to where my seats are, 110 down by the Hellcat. Yeah. It's cool because you got the bar down there, and there's a little bit of a vibe going on because you're very, very close to the supporter section. But it's not a good place to stand. Um, there's no breeze. No there's breeze. Just no breeze. It's also law enforcement corner. Because uh, that's, 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 that's more enclosed, isn't it? With yeah, the, yeah with, with the bar there. With the bar right yeah. there. So the thing about the 100 corner okay. is, I think it's the most wide open. It, it is the most wide yeah. open. Because on the southwest corner, you've got the stairs, and you've got yeah. uh, Dewey's Pizza and all that. It's all congested right there. And usually Godet's down that way, so I try not to. <laughs> yeah. And then the northwest corner has more stairs and some other stuff going on there, yeah, too. Yeah, a lot so. of popo in that corner, too. Yeah. They but, don't but, like they, but you get Jason Glover in that corner you're standing in. So Yes. Yeah, we get he does come by, yeah. He's, uh, That's a toss-up. I know. It, it's one of those things. You you make sacrifices yeah. for the majority of the game. <laughs> So, uh, so you know the name of the game. Do you, do you have a point? Do you have anything you want to bring up today? Your own pinnacle point of the day? What do you want to gripe about? And it doesn't even have to be about soccer. Well, no, it, it'll be about soccer. Based on the podcast that I've been listening to lately, um, my point would be that I think it would be great to get a panel together and have some club people and some high school coaches Ooh. 
I love boys it. and girls um, together on this, and let's let's uh, toss it around. Well, so Monday night we are going to JJ Twigs. Uh, who 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 all is on that panel? It's Mickler, Cavane, yeah, Cavane, Saint Dom. Who's the guy from Saint Dom? Keller, Keller, Keller. Uh, uh, is Villa? I think. I think so. And um, there's one other. Yeah, so it's a high. Oh, so you want me just to pop in? Oh, you should. <laughs> you should. And I know all those guys. Yeah. No, no, I think yeah. I, I think it, I think it is a it is a subject that everybody has an opinion on in this town for a myriad of reasons. And I think the hard part for these the high school coaches in particular, you know, the ones that continue to debate me in, uh, daily, <laughs> is that <laughs> we I, I'm cognizant. It's a different landscape. When we grew up, there was no academy. You had high school. It didn't matter how good you were. There was no choice. You had no choice. Mm-hmm. We live in a world of choice now. So I think that as this, as this topic continues to evolve, I, I think it'd be critical to have uh, academy participants in particular on, you know, because there's a lot of misunderstanding as to what the goals are. You know, and, a, and a big part of it is also defining pathway. You know, because that always seems to be... Well, and there's also so much more nuance to it, too. It's not... I think when we talk about it at the academy level, I do believe we are focused primarily on D1 pathway. Or above. Or above, right? There's a whole other section of college sports that we don't really get into too much, um, which is the community college route, the D3, NAIA, D2, those other aspects that maybe there's enough wiggle room within the conversation to to carve out a discussion around high school yeah. and how that plays in but we we don't go there usually we're usually talking about academy 2 d1 or right. 2 you know the pro path well i think a big part of it is also um so much of this is yes we've had academies now for roughly 10 plus years 12 years for, uh, give or take right um the expansion of MLS Next in particular, and then on the girls' side, which is something that we don't know anything about, we being the three of us in particular, uh, the GA side, uh, it's all evolving. Um, I, it's undeniable. Here's my, here's my closing point on that topic because there's going to be plenty of episodes that are going to cover this. I think the thing that nobody can deny that's going to be honest with themselves is the quality of the players that are coming out of these academy systems, whether it's an MLS affiliate or an SLSG, et cetera, or strikers, right? Um, you've never, it's never been greater. The quality of the players right now, we're, we're kind of in a sweet spot. So now what do we do next with it? And what does it really mean? And where does high school come into play? There's a plenty of things to chew on. And did you bite your lip? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Here's I got a tooth mark in my lip too. Oh, yeah, he, he was a little upset he missed that episode. You're going to be there Monday, right? Oh, I'll be there. You're there for the pizza, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, mm-hmm. I'll come for that. For sure. yeah. <laughs> All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to roll out here real quick. Um, Patch, thanks for joining us for the intro, and uh, thank you for the next guest tonight, too, which we'll get to in the next episode. So, yep. uh, fellas, we are going to roll out real quick, and we'll be right back with our guest. Can't you see the sunshine? Can't you just feel the moonshine? Yo, Jared here. 
remember the pool pandemic of 2021? I was infected. I needed my own oversized oasis in Wentzville. I needed a simple solution to pay for it. So I reached out to my favorite undefeated CBC freshman standouts, Bill and Chris, at The Pinnacle Loans. Long story short, I have my pool. It's a flipping hammer. The loan process with those guys was so simple. Even I did it. Now, every time I get in my pool to drink ice cold beer, I can thank the team over at ThePinnacleLoans.com. That's ThePinnacleLoans.com. 20-0 as freshmen? Really? Crescent Plumbing Supply helps save marriages. Really. As families grow, kitchen and bath needs change rapidly. Designing and choosing the right fixtures takes way more skill than just scrolling Pinterest. Staying on budget and avoiding those foreign language order sheets? That's not easy. Lucky for you, the local team at Crescent Plumbing Supply, they are experts. They can help you ditch the baby's tub for a teenage shower and upsize that kitchen sink for all those tumblers, rosé glasses, and sports water bottles. So, when you're ready for that kitchen or bath makeover, go to crescentsupply.com. That's crescentsupply.com. It's cheaper than a therapist. We're back. Here we go. I'm a little worried about Fred now. What do you say, Jared? I'm liking it. He's been liking this one? Zach? Sure. Guess? You liking this, Guess? Well, it's okay. <laughs> Jared, what am I playing? Uh, is this Smoking Your Bandit? This would be eastbound. And down. And down. Loaded up and trucking. Playing it for you, Jared. Because you, how many times have you seen this movie? Uh, a lot. A lot? Like a lot. more than five? Yeah. Zach carries my hat. Is that the reason you got into shipping? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. No. It's because I thought I was going to play soccer the rest of my life, and, it's, and that didn't quite work out, so that's why I landed. Here you go. There it is right there. There's your boy. <laughs> All right, we are back. Uh, quick break. Uh, had got some refills. Uh, we're rolling in here. This this is gonna be a lot of fun. We have one of those names in the St. Louis soccer landscape that is just a known commodity. Um, has had a tremendous career both as a player and as a coach, and continues to coach. Um, Started off up up north, uh, played a little bit, you know, like so many people that we've had on the show, right? North. North, north from the north side. Uh, played at Normandy, played at SLU University, uh, part of a couple national championship teams, was an All-American, played pro, uh, got into the coaching game early, fast, quick, hit it hard at SLU University, and is now, and has been for a while, current coach at Washington University. We have... Mr. Joe Clark. Also owner of a law degree. Oh. That's 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 pretty fancy. So I you're mean, saying we should keep his number? Yes. <laughs> that's every even more expensive than playing soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. We uh it's we, great to be here. You think. You think so. <laughs> Just wait. Well, it, yeah, I'm aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been warned. 
So uh, the most important question that we've had on the docket here, and actually I'm probably going to turn, I'm going to turn it over to you, Zach. And this stems from our guest a couple of episodes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to jump to probably uh, early on at your Wash U days. Uh, go ahead, Zach, take it from there. We're going to, we're going to start with that question. So you, I heard him. And uh, so I know where you're going with it. Then I don't even need to tee it up. I would love just to hear your side of that story because I think it's one of the most iconic. Narrate, narrate the scenario. Yeah, the ser- scenario. We had Dave Ehrenberg on, who's the head coach at Ladue High School. And he was claiming he was a walk-on at Wash U as a freshman. And that <laughs> in the middle of practice, you huddled the team up and basically said, son, it's a good effort, but uh, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> Pick up your cleats and don't remember it at all, but I'm sure it's true. So it wasn't my—I guess it wasn't my finest moment. Uh, well, let me let me let me flip the script because all of the the, the people um, and we know a lot of your players um, and, and are very good friends with some of these guys. By all accounts, um, you are a players' coach. Um, your, your reputation, um, is just out of this world and, and, and people that played for you for years in this city at the different places you've been, I don't know anybody that has a shitty thing to say about you. And that's really, that's really cool. Yeah. Because Dave even said, yeah, he did it nicely. Yeah. And he said, (laughs) I have no ill will towards coach Clark. He said, I, he probably doesn't even remember doing this. Okay. Well, first of all, I listened to this thing. I'd have my son play for Dave after listening to him and the effort that he puts in and how much he cares about those guys. And, and I thought, now why would I have done that? And I hesitate to explain if I did it. Well, I'm sure I did it, but the likely reason I would have done it. And I'm not sure this applies to Dave at all, so I hope this isn't throwing him under the bus unfairly. That wouldn't be the way that I normally let somebody go. Nobody likes letting people go. There are two different scenarios where I'll let a guy go right in the middle of a practice. One of them is is on the fitness test. So I know I did this one at SLU. So the deal was, guys, come on in, do two miles in 12 minutes. There was a player who was trying out for the team. He knew what the standard was, and he ran his two miles in 18 minutes. Okay. And afterwards, when he came over, and I said, okay, I, this isn't going to go. I don't think this is going to work. So there was no reason now for him to continue at the practice because I knew I wasn't going to keep him, and there's a chance he's going to get hurt. And if yeah. he gets hurt, now my school's responsible for any of those mm-hmm. injuries. So related to that is I've always been cautious about practice and players getting hurt, and especially with trialists. So if there's a guy at practice, and and I'm not gonna say that this is where Dave fit or anything, but if there is a guy at practice, and he is making what I consider to be dangerous tackles, sliding from behind, he's trying to impress, but I have a, there's an outside chance I'm gonna lose the best player on our team in this practice, I will end practice for that guy and tell him, okay, I don't think this is gonna work. So let's assume it's somewhere in the middle. And Dave, uh, Dave. Well, I'm not going to say that that's where Dave fit at all. I have no clue what happened with that. Well, it obviously didn't deter him. You know, I mean, he went on and, and has had a, a, yeah. a good career at Ladue and still speaks very highly of you and um, obviously has created quite the conversation that's lingered now for almost three weeks on the topic of high school, academy, path to college, those kinds of things. And so, 
JB takes a lot of the heat on, on social media I for us. I it would be all of it. Uh, most of it, yeah. <clears throat> uh, but I would love to get into that I'll topic. tag in. Yeah, uh, go. No, no, no. no, no I'll no, tag in no, for no, the no. heat taking. No, no, well. No, no. Yeah. The, our, our PR firm specifically said <laughs> no to Jared. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's do this. Let's let's go ahead and throw a curveball and let's get back to the beginning. Um, as I mentioned in the roll-in here, uh, you're a North County guy. Uh, you, you you played at SLU. Let, let's talk about those early days because you were kind of part of the uh, you know what many consider the golden era uh, at SLU University with the players that were coming out at that time. Um, Talk about your experience personally. Um, you know, your senior year of high school, playing up north. You, you, you know, you came out of the CYC ranks up to Normandy. You were at another school, I believe. I was that, at McBride, and it closed down. And that, right. so then it took you to Normandy your last two years, or just just my senior, year. just senior year. And it was good. I only went there one year because I would have flunked out. Really. Well, because I had to study hard at McBride, and then I went to Normandy, and I carried all my notes around on one sheet of paper in my back pocket. A little easy. Are you saying it was easy? Well, I'm saying that my <laughs> my dad had passed away a few years prior to that, three or four years. My whole neighborhood was like that. Everybody had lost their dad, and we were out of control. And so if he was at home now, I would have had a big notebook. Yeah. You know, my mom did a great job. Don't get me wrong. There were six of us. But my dad would have just kicked the hell out of me for some of the stuff I did. So so tell us tell us about the transition from what it sounds like a little bit of a wild time for you your senior year you know you're you're probably playing local ball etc how does that transition look for you what did it look like for you going to you know the slu university and having an opportunity to play at that program during those years because it was it was a steep I mean, it was a very steep bench. So you were clearly turning heads, competing at the highest level. What did that transition look like for you from Normandy to SLU? Well, I played on really good club teams. I played uh, for my cousin, Dave Berwin, and all kinds of great players played for Dave. And I started playing for him when I was a freshman in high school. He told me, you need to spend an hour a day with the ball. He told everybody that. So every day I spent an hour a day with the ball in front of the house, you know. Everybody did just what you were told to do. And that was besides practice, you know. This was what you did. And um, so I was playing at a good level. They was only under 19 then. There wasn't under 16 and all that. So the, I don't think there's a McGuire Cup any longer, but the national championship under 19 mm -hmm. was that. So when I was, I guess, 14, my freshman year, I was playing under 19 tournament. We lost in the semifinals. And, and so I was always playing up. Um, and... With St. Louis U, you just kind of waited for the call. There was some other schools that were showing interest in me. Harry had told me after a game he refereed, we played Vianney, and he just pulled me aside after the game my junior year, and he said, I'll be getting back in touch. Yeah. And, and so I knew I was going nice. to go. And I, this is another one. If probably my dad would have agreed with that, but I passed up the Ivy League schools that were reaching out to me, and I wouldn't even think about it. Nah. Were the economics different back then in the Ivy League schools? Like, meaning that um, I'd assume that you Harry gave you a scholarship to come to SLU, and so you had some some financial relief, if you will. Your family did. Could you go to an Ivy League school back then in the seventies and, and actually get athletic money, or was there no athletic money in Ivy League schools then? Like there, there was is no now? athletic money, but I'm sure 
I mean, I went on a full ride to SLU, and I'm pretty sure I would have went to any Ivy League school for nothing. I mean, my mom was raising six kids in Social Security. Okay, yeah. okay. So I the financial aid side of it. Okay. I made money at SLU because I got the Pell Grant while I had all my room, books, board, sure, everything paid, sure. but I still got a check. Okay. So those early days at SLU, um, the, the names are just, you know, it's a long, long list of names that you that you ran into the team with, that you played with, et cetera. Um, who, who was the one, you know, be, because we've, we've had on this show, we've, we've had hack and whack. We've had McDermott. We've had, uh, quite a Mr. few. Mr. Trost. Trost. Yeah. Al was on, um, who was, who was the name? Who was the player? You know, cause you're a St. Louis kid. You grew up, you knew all these guys, you knew who was there. Who was the one that you were really excited that you're like, I, I'm going to play at the next level with that person. Or was it more just excited about the university opportunity? Well, I think I was excited about playing with all of them. I think when I was there um, in my freshman year, a, pl a player who's passed away, Bobby O'Leary, I would go on in the midfield and I'd be playing next to Bobby, and then he would just say, okay, joke, every goal kick, whatever it was. He says, let's get on these guys. We're going to just dominate. Let's take over this game in the middle of the field. And that direction, that, that focus that he was providing um, – really kind of was a North Star for me. This is what I'm trying to do. This is what I'm, so I, that was relaxing and, and it provided kind of a, a, a plan on how to approach those segments of the game. So he influenced me when he did that. So let's, let's, let's kind of like make this next transition because um, you were part of uh, two national championships, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Um, and then you guys made it to the semifinals and the, the final, the final of the third year. Um, you, you had a great senior year. Um, <clears throat> NASL is in, <clears throat> excuse me, full gear, ripping, uh, and you get the opportunity. Um, you, you're offered that pro contract. Um, knowing, you know, that you, know, you mentioned that your dad had passed away when you were younger. Your mom was raising six kids on their own. What, what, what did that really mean to you to get your degree, stay at school, get the degree, go to SLU University, but then you're you're offered the opportunity to play pro. Was there like a, a little bit more to it or were you a little more excited because of your pathway or was it again another one of those like, hey, this is the next step, this is what I want? What, what was that transition like for you from college to the NASL? Well, I... I do think in my mind it was the next step, the transition. You know, there was a lot of luck involved. When I think about the guys that I played with on St. Louis, that when the team moved to California, they chose not to go, that I had played college with, there was a lot of guys, they were better players than me. And they just decided they were not gonna, they're not gonna continue on playing. And for some bizarre reason, I, I chose to. That's the only reason I went to law school, because I really loved playing. Was that at Pepperdine? Actually, I went to like three law schools. Did you? Yeah, because we moved in. I started at St. Louis U. Okay. And then I was at Pepperdine and Southwestern. And, and so my degree ends up from, South, from Pepperdine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I only went because I needed to be able to get a job afterwards. And yes, I needed sir. to have an excuse to play soccer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Need an excuse to play soccer. I love that. So, so in it, your, your NASL experience, you know, was coming out of uh, your, your university years, you won it. You won it all twice. <clears throat> Kept competing, you know, at that high level. When you go into the NASL, 
Where were you like, was the drive the same for you? Because we've heard through other guests, like there's kind of a, a roller coaster of, of, of focus or motivation or what meant more. You know, we've had some guests that are like, you know, their most memorable moments were on the high school field, you know, even though they played, had a tremendous professional career. How would you, how would you compare the two, you know, your, your slew years to your, to your pro years? I always loved it, you know. What, I just loved it. I loved to play. I loved to play. When Dave told me to work an hour a day with the ball, that really wasn't a big deal because we, in my neighborhood we played all the time. When I was at SLU, we played all the time. When I coached at SLU, we played all the time. When I was playing pro, I would go and work on my game. Practice was over. I'd go work on my game in the afternoon. And I always expected that I'd be able to compete with the players that I was playing against. I, mean, I was probably just naive and dumb. Wow. But I just, okay, I can do this. You talked about, uh, you brought it up, and not to get ahead of ourselves, JB will get us back if, if, if need be. You talked about coaching at SLU. How about those gy- that, that West Pine gym? Can you tell us what, what, the, what the walls were? Oh, the what, walls were the racquetball court. Yeah, the Please. walls racquetball court. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's talk about the names that he had there. He had McBride. He had McKeon. He had um, lots of high-level players. And by all accounts, the friends that I know that were involved in those things, Mr. Clark here was beating all those guys at walls. <laughs> Uh, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what the game, well, the walls okay, here, were. Okay, we would play games to 100. But first, in order to be able to play in the spring season, they had to be able to get 150 walls. So they had five starts, one touch. Mm-hmm. Five starts, two touch. Five starts, three touch. And I would give them one mulligan. And they needed 150 total. So you'd kick it. It was only with your shoelaces. That okay. Just your insteps. Off the wall, off the wall, off the wall, off the wall. If it two touch, off the wall control, off the wall control, off the wall control. It couldn't hit any other part of your body. It couldn't, it couldn't hit any other part of your foot. It couldn't hit the floor. It couldn't hit the wall. Any other wall couldn't hit the ceiling. So the, the rules were really tight on what it could do. So, like, I remember uh, those when we have to do 15. One time, Tim Strange said to me, can I just start three touch? I said, yeah. So he needed to get his 150, and I was in there with him. He started three touch. <laughs> He stayed in a, about double the size of these, three, these two tables, and he did 150 straight walls, 150 in a row. He hit pop, boom, boom. The ball probably never went more than six inches above his knee. Pop, boom, boom, pop, boom, boom. 150 in a row, put it down and walked out. Yeah. Nice, no, I dude. Wasn't, I wasn't going to beat him. You were going to beat him? <laughs> no. no but, but by all accounts, you beat a lot of the guys later on in life, uh, namely Jeremy Moore, uh, because <laughs> I know he is a uh, – uh, you're a mentor of his, and he speaks very highly of you. Um, you know, back to those still that West Pine days, the three v three days. I mean, you guys would be getting ready. You guys would be highly ranked, and you'd be going to play SMU the weekend. And you guys would be like, "I need to get ready. I need to get ready." And you know, you'd be like, "Well, we're going to get ready." And these guys would be, "Well, I want to play three v three." And then you know, you at your age, they were like, "Well, we got you. You're on our team." And you'd be like, "Okay, let's play three v 3 And hour and a half later, you guys still be playing three v three on those West Pine all gym. The time. Yeah, you Non-stop, know, stop all the time, all the time. Uh, so uh, are those fond memories? Greatest job on the planet. It was awesome. Yeah, that gym was great. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, JB. Well, what I really liked is I would walk into the West Pine gym. It might be like nine o'clock in the morning, and I'd hear somebody going, "Fuck." <laughs> And I'd walk straight up there. And I remember once it was Richie Bright. And I said, did everything just told, turn totally black to you? 
were you so mad that you just blacked out? He said, yeah, these doggone things, you know. <laughs> that would happen all the time. That's all so the, great. Yeah. Well, so during those, during those years, you mentioned one of the names in particular that popped up that you said first was Brian McBride. <clears throat> um, talk, talk about, as a coach, because uh, this, is, this is a recurring theme that we've had on the show, um, and that is kind of player evaluation or style or strategy that you would look for in a player that you wanted on your team, et cetera. And, and there's an iteration of it that we typically ask for more the youth level, um, and that is, <clears throat> excuse me, it, you know, that it factor. When you, when you see a player, um, you know, like out here at the club, uh, a number of the individuals that we spoke with talk about, you know, there are things you can't define. They're, it's not technical. It's not tactical. It's just this special movement or body language or temperament or whatever it is. For you, during those years at SLU, you had a, a, a venerable who's who of some of the best players, you know, in our nation at the time. What, what was it for you? What were you looking for in players um, that you wanted to come in and be part of the program that you were building, you know, at, at, at such a, you know, uh, a, a valued institution? What, what was most important to you in the players that you were bringing in? And who would you say really uh, manifested that it for you as a player under under your guidance? Well, that's a really good question. But first, you mentioned Brian McBride. I think a blind man could have seen that he was good. You know. Um, yeah, it was the vertical. I, I the first thing I look for is brains. Um, no, there's a lot more to the game than that. But brains, I think. Well, I think fitness kind of is the foundation, which is underneath everything that's about being a player. But it, umbrellaing 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 under the umbrella under the umbrella <laughs> including fitness that overarch is brains how do you use what you have there's kids that are really fit or really fast and they run around like a chicken with their head cut off or they run off size yeah. all the time there's guys who've spent hours hours and hours working with the ball and you give them the ball when they cross that line they have their head down all the time and they can't see anybody and, and so they don't know how to use what they have. So there are kids that have real clear-cut limitations. His touch isn't quite good enough. He's not quite fast enough. He's not this or that, but his brain's incredible. And he gets everything out of what he has. And you know you're going to get 95% of his abilities all the time. Yeah. So, so, so then with a guy like Brian McBride, because he, he, I mean, he, he was a physical beast. Uh, we, I was lucky enough to you know, watch and... Uh, travel with our team, Granite City. We played them in their in their in uh, senior year final, Arlington Heights. <clears throat> Arlington Heights, and we won. Um, he was good, not good enough, but uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> <That's good. laughs> but I, I remember watching him at that point, and then just kind of assuming that transition. Then we all we all saw him at the national team level, etc. Speak to him specifically, you know, because what was it? about him that you knew early on, you know, because brains is one of those things. How, how do you measure it? How, how, can, how can you, you know, go and scout and... You can see it. And, 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 and apply like he's got that cerebral it. That's the IQ part of it, I think. You can yeah. absolutely so, see yeah. it. So, it, so, so t t tell the story, though, you know, if you could just paint the picture of him in particular so that listeners can kind of understand and connect the dots between what you're describing as, you know, a characteristic of a player that you're looking for, 
because most of the people listening know who he is and have seen him play. How did you connect those dots that he was the one that manifested that? Well, that's a hard question because um, Brian just stood out with effectiveness. And, and again, he worked really hard and he ran hard when he was playing like on his club team. I watched him play at the Dallas Cup and, and that team was kind of based on hard work and a lot of long balls up to he and Mike Byrne making runs. And, but he stood out in his play in the penalty area, which you all know about, and yeah. his effectiveness in the air. Although he's way more of a soccer player than just good in the air. Yeah. If he wasn't good in the air, if he was just normal in the air, he probably still would have been a pro. He was way beyond this label that he yeah. gets. Well, who was it that, that we asked about the pure strikers for the U.S. National We were talking team. to Mark Moser. It's, it was Moser. Yeah, it he was said, Mark Moser. He said the only pure nine we've ever really had on the U.S. team. The first name was Brian McBride. Brian McBride. Would you agree with that? Well, it's a strong statement because it eliminates a lot of other really good players. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, but, you know, Brian just kept getting better and better. Mm-hmm. He was a great athlete. I mean, he played. I think that's one of the things, all these different strikers that we, that we have produced out of St. Louis in the last 25 or 30 years, the first thing that defines them is their athleticism. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it's just the way it is. And they can also play, you know, out of a phone booth, if you will, because that's that's what St. Louis prides themselves on, though, at the athleticism, and they also can play technically. You talked about it in that umbrella analogy, is fitness is in the umbrella, that's understood, brains, and then, you know, there's all these tools in your tool bag, brains, technical ability, speed, strength, all these things. So I think what you're referencing is these guys that have the brains, they have the, the speed, but they're also technical. So they're athletic and technically sound, and, and, and that's what sets some of these guys apart that you're referencing. And competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, they're that's really the, competitive, and they, they're multi-sport athletes yep. most of the time. Yep. Brian played tennis. He played hockey. He played volleyball. He played soccer. He played all of these different sports. He played in those Ryder Cup golf events, too, you know, when you guys would go on the bus trips. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's from Hoffman Estates. He could play all that stuff. Yeah. Probably polo, too, if they tried. How did you uh, (laughs) – could you tell us a story? How did you get the nickname Fox Clark? Oh, I've had it since I was a teenager. You know, my buddies gave me the nickname Fox, and – and that's enough information. <laughs> well said. <laughs> it has stayed with me ever since. Has it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll ask. We'll ask second part of that off air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, let me let me ask you this. Well, I want to go back though, because it sure. asked about brains and how do you see it, and 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 you felt like it was just cerebral that it wasn't. I think it's so easy to recognize, and you had mentioned IQ. So Arsene Wagner, when he talked about how he watches a player, he first watches, what does he do before he gets the ball? What does he do with his first touch? What does he do when, with his pass? What does he do after he plays it? That's the, those are the first things that he's looking for, and there's a whole lot in there. What that player does, obviously, you know, is he scanning and all, but what does he do with his first touch? Yeah. Does his first touch show purpose? If it doesn't show purpose, and you see that repetitively, he's, he's definitely missing something. He's going to get him some problems. And, and that occurs over and over again when you're playing the game, just these little bitty things yep. that an intelligent player does. 
Well, the, the, the conversation that we had, uh, Jared, you and I, with Pat Noonan in particular, he talks about that in that, that, that the movement off the ball leading up to the play, you know, when you look at – because I, I understand, I agree with you I, from uh, the brain standpoint – you know, because we, we watch so many games. We see our kids' games. We see every other kid's game out here. And, you know, we watch games at the highest level all the time. And you can just tell when a player is just moving with ease, is always in the right position, is just kind of flowing in the game. And and that's not that's not technical training. That You can tell the difference between somebody that's told, be in this space, when the ball goes here, you be there. So I agree with you. And, and, I, and I think that... Here's my question, and I want to push it down in age and maybe more from an advice standpoint because we do have a lot of parents that listen to this show now, and they're always kind of looking for a little bit of that uh, sage advice, a little bit of the, quote, secret sauce. When it comes to fluidity and learning the game, you know, if you, if you did go down in age as a coach, how would you work with kids or what would you advise your younger players or the parents of those young players, you know, what to, to, what to work on beyond fitness, beyond just getting in the touches, you know, what's, what's something, you know, like a, a card in the deck that they would not have expected you to hand to them. What would that be? Well, there's a lot of pieces to that question. I think for the parents and even for the coaches that are words, words are so important. And these they need to be positive. They need to find the kid doing it right. So if somebody turned with the ball and put it on the protected side away from the defender, he needs to know how good that was. You know? And it's pretty good if some of the other kids hear that compliment because then they may try to try to do it. He doesn't need so much to hear when he didn't shield the ball. If you can find him when he does shield the ball and if he can pick that up because it's, it impacts him so much. Then I, I really believe they need to play with their friends as much as they can. You know? The game has to be fun. The only way it's going to be build passion because passion is what drives players to actually choose to work to become better because they love it and they want to become better. But that the reason that they do it when they start out playing is because they want to do it with their friends. They want to play with their friends. And so every chance that they can get when a parent can go out in the backyard and play against Johnny and his two buddies yeah. one-on-one and let them go ahead and let them win – you know, come up with games, play soccer, golf, have, if they're going to have them do some dribbling drills, then have them do it in races, have them try to get so many in 20 seconds or 30 seconds, and, and don't be too demanding about the technique of it all, you know, uh, and, and if you do coach any technique, make it like outward focused, you know, what I mean by that is, okay, uh, make your foot kick towards that glass plate over there yeah don't tell them how to kick your foot don't tell them to lift your don't tell them all those other pieces that are internal just tell them kick your foot towards that glass yeah it's funny you say the word passion um we're doing this show um at the home of you know the old home of soccer here at soccer park here in fenton in the club that's housed out of this place that's an important word around here passion so they get it and um the passion is very important I want to go back to what he was referencing with, with Pat, and you talked about shielding. You talked about first touch. And it's even greater than that on that it factor is, I think what he said was like just body positioning. It's just how to move within the fluidity of the game when you're away from the ball, when you have the ball. 
that first touch and, and, and like so that's what he's looking for is, is just that you know on that it factor is is body positioning of of how to read the game to be able to separate yourself from the defender where it's not a a fundamental on outside turn or, or inside turn it's it's you've already positioned your body to receive the ball to where you're out of trouble so uh, you know I, I think what you're saying is very enlightening you know what I mean and I, if they're going to go coach your kids or if your kids play in a 3v3 term and they lose the ball, don't say anything to them about it. Don't criticize them for trying to take some kid on. Don't tell them, well, you should have passed it. Don't no. So, yeah. so you're saying yelling, you little SOB, this is not what we pay you for, <laughs> is inappropriate? Yeah, inappropriate, yeah. Oh, but, damn. Yeah. Jared, you taking notes? I've never <clears throat> yelled ever. <laughs> you know. they, they need to be able to just explore the game and what their abilities are. So I, I, I have a follow-up to that. And looking at your career on a linear path, you go to SLU after Normandy. You go into the NASL with the Stars. You go up to L.A., come back to St. Louis with the Steamers. Like, you know what, I'm not going to play anymore. And then the SLU head coaching job opens up. And you get that job. Yeah, that's something. That's really amazing. And I think hearing your stories, the passion that you had as a player and what I've heard from other people that know you is you're the nicest guy and your passion for the game, it just, it's, it's evident. Like it, it radiates. And I would imagine whoever sat across from you in the interview caught that. Because you were an what, inexperienced what, what, yeah. coach. Was, was there an interview or did you? Oh, yeah, I had interviews. Was it Father Biondi or was it before him? No, well, Father Biondi came in while I was there. He was okay. Um, they had better candidates than me. There's no doubt about it. I know some of the guys. Bob Ganser was a candidate. I mean, he was light years beyond me. I wasn't ready to be a coach. I was still a player. And in those early years, I was a player when I was coaching. Um, I was really competitive, and I and I was passionate, enthusiastic, and if there was a, I remember, no, I'm not even going to tell it. I'll tell it off the mic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there was just a lot I didn't know, and there was a lot I just assumed. I, I assumed everybody would work as hard as I did, and it was always just as important to everybody else as it was to me. There was a lot of things I just wasn't ready for. So, so why do you think you got the job then? If, if you are admitting that there were you know better names on the board. You know what? What? What transpired, um, or what do you think that you brought to the table that you know had this you know you know amazing institution to choose you when you're admitting that there were better options? I don't what, know. what do you think? I do think there? like sometimes my law degree, having those initials, even though I've never practiced, I got my brother out of a hundred dollar ticket. That's it. I'm about. <laughs> 350 in the hole. Can I have your number? <laughs> um, maybe with universities, maybe that kind of fit an image that a university wants to portray. Because, um, well, I mean, realistically, you've had two coaching jobs. In yeah, 30 I had coached at Harris Stowe while I was in law school and still playing before I was at SLU. And I coached um, a club team uh, in the offseason out at Southern Cal. How but, much being a relevant alumni that's had a lot of success in the game and fresh off that said success and, and, and having the values you had had to help a whole hell of a lot, you know, than bringing in necessarily an outsider in that, you know, like a Gansler. 
You know, uh, that, that, that would have been a great choice. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would have been an incredible choice. I love Bob Ganser. And his son played for me when I went to Wash U. Dan played for me. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, here's what we're going to do. Um, <clears throat> we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get some refills. We are going to come back and we are going to, we're going to ask a little bit of, I'm going to, I'm going to get into the competitive aspect. You know, you were talking about uh, the, the cerebral standpoint or the skill sets of players. And the one thing you said is you really want them to be competitive because that is a common topic in the topic du jour of high school and academy and all this other stuff. And I, and I want to get your opinion and your take on where all that comes into play um, because there's strong opinions. And I will quote other people and get your take on that because you've seen it from all levels. And um, I think it would be fun. We're just going to keep the debate going. What do you think, Jared? You, you down with that? Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> looking forward to it. All right. We'll be, we'll be right back with Mr. Joe Clark. The term staycation was really invented by soccer moms. Located one hour and seven minutes from the arch, the Music Box Chalet at Innsbruck is a hidden gem. Buried in three acres of private woods, the Music Box has a master suite for just you, a loft and second bath for them, and a vinyl collection to meet your every mood. The full-size kitchen will easily accommodate three to 12 bottles of rosé, while the huge fire pit seating area will keep the big kids busy. Golf, fishing, kayaking, pickleball, or simply reading a book with Mother Nature, all at your fingertips. Visit either VRBO or Airbnb to find the Music Box Chalet. And now, back to those guys. There we go. We're mixing up. We're all over the board today. As you can tell, we're back. Any guesses? No mm, guesses? Stare, blank stares? I want to guess. I don't either, but I, it does sound like a song from the movie Duets with no. uh, Gwyneth here, Paltrow here, 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 here. and uh, Hugh Lewis. Yes. The song, they, they did a cover of that song. Huey Lewis and uh, oh, they did. Gwyneth Paltrow they were did. father and daughter, and they did this song. That's horrible. Yeah. You this guys is, are impressive. This is the original. Yeah. Well, Joe, my mom was a uh, cosmetologist, and her passion was music. Mm-hmm. So growing up, you know, the our, we didn't have a laundry room. We had a beauty salon. <laughs> there was uh, a dryer chair. In a, Granite City, right? N- yep. I wasn't going to say it, but Patch is the one busting on me. <laughs> but there was a record player. Got to do a shot. Got to, that's a good idea. Granite City was mentioned. Every time we say it. It would definitely be would, a different what, show. What about? I'm gonna okay. have to sleep here. Yeah. Well, well, what we could do is uh, it would be a shot of whiskey if I mention Granite City, and it would be a shot of Malort if you mention Saint Dom. We would do one shot. Oh. <laughs> okay. We'd be sober if we mentioned my high school. Where's that? Exactly. <laughs> All right, Joe. Well, who was their artist? <clears throat> Smokey Robinson. Smokey Robinson. Smokey Robinson. Okay. Motown. That, okay. That, that was the point. Like my my mom was a little bit older, and she was a huge Motown fan. 
and Motown, Don Ho, and Elvis. Don Ho, wow. Oh, that was horrible. Yeah, it's not. That was bad. But my dad was significantly younger. He was uh, more Eagles. Was she was she more Elvis before he got famous, like in Memphis, yes. or was she was he like post acting? Yeah, she's. I mean, she's a true baby boomer. She was post war baby, so she grew up. So with, Sun Records, Elvis. Yes, yeah, early. Okay. okay, that makes sense. Um, that's the because she graduated from like high school in '64. My dad graduated in '70, so he was the hippie rocker, and she was the British Invasion slash. All that. All right. Okay. And Joe's well, like, we got that covered. This is a waste of my time. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Now, I want to I I bring something up because we, we've talked to Shep Messing. We've had Don Ebert on. We've had quite a few other folks in the NASL. And before we get into what Petch brought up, which is Normandy, which the one year you went there was a, a good time. And he seems to remember that very fondly. But I just think it's so interesting. We, we had Al Trost on. And now you, Joe, and you guys played against, I mean, there's a picture of you in the St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame with you and George Best. I covered him three times. That's insane. And and you're sitting here now with us. Losers. Altrost still, you know, substitute teaches at Parkway. And you guys played against the most iconic players and in the most iconic league prior to the MLS in this country. And... You're still so inspiring because it's that, it, that approachable, passion humble. and approachable and humble and all those who's things. Who's the best player you ever played against, or who's the best play? Who's the best guy you covered? Was George Best? Because we've had people on here say that George Best might have been the most talented player they ever saw. Who, who for you? I, I don't know why I got these. They had to play the Americans. They didn't want to play the Americans <laughs> first and foremost. They didn't want to play him. Al was an exception. Usually it would be a goalkeeper and wingbacks when you had to have three players on. So I was moved from a midfield player to a wing back. And then most of the time I would be told to mark and they would pick a player. And actually now that I'm older, it's kind of cool because I got to play against (laughs) or so-called mark all these incredible guys. So I don't know. I marked Cruyff. I'm going to go back to that. Cruyff. Now that you're older, it's kind of cool. Why was it not cool when you were doing it? Because I didn't get to go play. George Best and I were, and he got traded, so I marked him twice in one week. And we're standing at the center circle. And we're just standing next to each other. And he says, why don't you go play? I said, I really want to go play, but they want me to stand here next to you. And then he just just went like... you couldn't do anything about it when he would do this. A teammate would have the ball 15 yards away, 10 yards away. He would just run over to the guy and take the ball. <laughs> once he did that, you're finished. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're just finished. Uh, you know, so. So, 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 I mean, you were, you were going down this road uh, best. Na- throw some names. Cruyff. Who else, did you, who else did you mark or did you play defensively against these talented offensive guys that came from Europe and South America? And who, who are these guys and who is that guy for you that you remember? Yeah, that, you that know, moment when you walked on the field and you were like, oh, my God, that is blank. Or now when you watch videos or you talk to your players or, you know, for the last 30 years, you know, who, who is that guy that just had like uh, that guy was awesome. And I know well, he wasn't a guy I was assigned to mark, but I had to mark him. Well, you remember Roy Wegerly, who played for the U.S. Yes. for a while? Well, his older brother was named Steve, and, and there was some, a couple years in the North American Soccer League where we moved the off-sideline back to the 35. 
And so there would be these huge gaps because forwards could just stay up at the 35. So then you had to stay there. And we had this, I was playing left back. We had this right back they had brought over from England and he was a good player. He played at Liverpool and he was always going forward. And so then they would call me back to stay back. If there was two strikers, I'd have to stay back. And then Steve Waggerly was playing on the wing. And so we'd go up, we'd get in a cross or whatever. They'd serve it into the goalkeeper. Here comes the goal counter. He would get it and they would throw it to Steve Waggerly. And now our team would gradually come back. I would get released. Okay, Joe, go get this guy. He beat me every way known to man. <laughs> wow. He just, American, uh, too. Wait. No, South African. South he, African, he, okay. I don't know if he was a citizen as well. You know, but his, um, even Roy Wegley was really from South Africa, okay. but established citizenship. But we won three to nothing. Nice. But I went and knocked myself in the John after the game was over. I didn't want to see anybody. <laughs> just locked myself in, yeah. Wow, yeah. wow. So, so I mentioned before the break that I wanted to get into a little bit of the, the current debate du jour, uh, and that is, you know, and, and this is happening across the country, with the advancement and the acceleration of academies, MLS Next, et cetera. And then on the girls' side, you have the GA that is growing in prominence. Uh, simplistically put, the players that are that are participating in these leagues, uh, they are exclusive to those leagues. It is no longer you play for your club, but in the fall, you know, like here in St. Louis, in the fall, you get to go to your high school team. Uh, ECNL allows that. Um, and I want to tie in the comment that you made earlier about – the players that had it were always very competitive, right? And that's something that we've heard from other uh, high-level coaches, you know, some of your peers that have said, you know, you, you, finding comp competitors is a lot harder than you think it would be these days. Um, so what, just 10,000-foot view, where, where, do you, where do you feel or where do you fall on this exclusivity? Uh, that, that's really only, what, 10, 12 years uh, yeah. of academy uh, livelihood. Um, do you think it's good for the game? Do you think it's detrimental? Um, you know, or are you kind of Switzerland in the middle on this thing? How do you feel about the new landscape and these clubs and the academies in particular on the boys' side and the GA on the girls' side, um, keeping the kids year-round as opposed to rolling them into high school to truly compete for state championships, things like that. And, and real quick, because I want you to answer this part of it too. If you were the current coach at SLU, does your answer change? As far as I don't as think if, so. Okay, then, not, then go ahead. Well, I think there's a lot of truths, and some of them seem to be on opposite ends of that line. So if the line is that the truth, well, there is a truth, that you take players to the edge of their comfort zone, and you push them and get them in the most demanding environment that you possibly can because gradually, without them even knowing it, that environment is gonna help them to become a better player. That is entirely true. There's another side that is also true. When a player is very successful, when a player is playing, it's, it's, he's one of the best players. And, um, he gets to experience success. He gets to try out different things. And he develops some skills that he might not be allowed to develop in that other environment. But here, he can. He gets to learn about how to be the best player, 
how do you make other players better? Because the best players make other players better. And a lot of how they do it is with their words. It's how they recognize players that are, have certain limitations and they adjust their game to help those players when they're in a situation where they're limited and they help those players use what they're good at. And so they become exponentially better players by their influence. Sometimes you can lose that unless you're one of the very best in this highly competitive environment. You don't get to do that. You sometimes have a, just a role or you're not getting enough time at all or you're afraid to try things because you might make a mistake. So I think that's kids, absolutely true. That, that is yeah. I, keep going. But I mean, that, that, that's, <laughs> that's amazing that you that you recognize that because in this higher academy level, these kids are all very good players. But if they're not the 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 they're all type A. But if they're not the the two or three, four, five team leaders, they are role players. The, the, I ha- I, I'm in a good spot because I'm at Washington U, and and I'll get a lot of academy players, and many of the academy players that I get were role players on their team. Right. And then when they come to our place, they what they're being asked to do is expanded and the position and the influence and all of a sudden they're doing things that they never did before because they weren't allowed to do it so the academy as great as it is was putting a ceiling on that player you know and and how good a player can be or how good a team can be their ceiling is defined by how low the coach's floor is what mistakes can the coach tolerate well, let me ask you specifically about your own recruiting strategy, because so many um, uh, Division One programs in particular, um, they tend to be the opposite of what I call the NFL draft model, in which teams are looking at just give me the best on the board. You know, whether we need it or not, you know, we're taking the best players available. In soccer, it's a little bit different, um, you know, and I'm not going to get in the weeds with transfer portal and international players and all this other stuff. But a lot of times it is role specific, you know, you know, from their mouths like, hey, we've got we've got a great nine right now. We've got a great nine on the bench. We're really not in the market for a nine. And they're sophomore and juniors. And I got three years with the greatness. And yeah. So so. You know, a lot of times they are more, uh, or at least they appear to be a little bit more methodical in the type of player that they're looking for at that highest level. Um, for you and your program, do you do that, or it sounds like you're really looking for more of a uh, cerebral player uh, that has skill? Um, does does position matter to you, or are you just more of an NFL draft type of a coach? Like, just get me a really good kid that can compete. Well, I, I was. We just had our ID camp this past weekend, Saturday, Sunday, two different little camps. And when I was talking to the guys about this, and I said, "Don't be a specialist. If you're a specialist, like if you to tell me you're a nine, and that really defines you, you're really not a player." that has the ability to move about on the field, yep. then you better be good. And if you're telling me that you're only a nine that can't move around the field, then you're telling me that my team cannot really be very fluid. 
I can't have it where you've dropped low for the ball and somebody ran past you and we just lost it. Now he's going to play from there and now you've got to fill in and you're going to be able to function in his position and do it well. You already told me you can't but, do it. But that. you're a lazy nine to boot, right? Yeah, you know then you, <laughs> if, if you're that player, then you better be great. You better be great or your, um, your opportunities are going to be limited. Well, let me just ask you a point-blank question then. Uh, in the last few years, from a recruiting standpoint, um, can you wait it? Uh, if it's a 10-player uh, inbound number per year, do, do you have a rough estimate of academy versus non-academy players? Um, because some of the other individuals that we talked to, of 10 players, minimum of eight, if not nine, or all 10 are coming from uh, MLS academies. Um, wh where do you fall at WashU? You know, with your program, D do you have a guesstimate on what that ratio looks We're like? We're kind of in between, and we with ECNL players mainly and academy players. <clears throat> I I know I'm missing good players, and yeah. I'll tell them I know I'm missing good players. I don't want all the good players. I just want to have a good team with full of good players, and I know my roster hits the right size. I want to stop, even if I'm turning down a really good player. Because the more players you have, the less chance you have of maintaining a good culture. There's going to be players there that are going to feel they're going to get screwed or not looked at, and that's going to happen. And they're going to become demotivated. And when they get demotivated, they're not going to put out their best efforts, and that's going to piss off players that are playing with them, that are trying to move up the ladder, that are getting time. And, of course, the coach is held responsible for all that, and the practices are too long. So you need to try to get your team together and then just stay with it. I got a, I, I got a statement and then a point, by, uh, point blank question. Statement is, is good players um, at your institution, um, which those of us in the St. Louis market know, um, it's a very, they value academics. So often good players might not be able to cut what your institution requires to be able to be in there. So there's guys that get exonated that are potential good players that you can't even see. That's just, I mean, maybe that's just a blanket statement. My point blank question is, is do you or your staff go watch Missouri State high school soccer in the fall? We'll watch a few games a year. It, it will be particular kids that are reaching out to us. We've been told that they're good players. They're academically really, really strong and have an outside chance of getting in. And then we'll go watch. Okay, so 20 years ago when you're at SLU, um, you're going to the Granite City tournament or you're going to the Tournament of Champions and watching CBC play SLU, Dismet play, Chaminade. Granite City didn't make it to the Final Four, so they weren't in it. But they um, – quick, quick point so, of so, reference. So, so I didn't mention Granite City. I know, did. I did. <laughs> so that was – you, you uh, Maroney, all these guys from all over the country, these high-level programs were going in and watching these high school competitions different time. So – you answered the question already. I don't mean to make you repeat yourself, but it's it's more game specific slash player specific that we need to go check this box versus uh, just blanket going out on a Thursday night to go watch a you know triad play St. Dominic. You got to remember, I'm at Wash U. Yep, I'm at Wash U. You know, right now we're test optional, which is great. That's working out well. So if I'm talking to somebody and I want to get a pre-read for him. I'll tell him, if you're not 35 and or above on the super score, now the next score, it's 35 or 36. I said, you're going to go test optional. If you're not above a 1,500 with your super score on the SAT, then don't submit it. Just go test optional. So 
it's not worth it for me to just go watch general games because how many kids out there are it's a different be, beast? It's a different beast. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Go ahead, Zach. No, I, my my follow up to that is there's been a debate on on social media around college ID camps. You just talked about you had too many camps this weekend. Oh, I had two camps. Two different camps. Yeah. Okay. So my son just went to the the slew camp this past weekend and. I think Beckett's going to Akron, Akron a couple of weeks. Friday. Friday. Oh, this Friday. So can you talk a little bit about that process? Meaning you have your recruitment throughout the year where you're going to, you know, different MLS next events or ECNL events where you can see a lot of players at one time. You might pop into a high school game if there's been a, a, a recommendation and the kid already meets the qualifications. But can you talk about the value of those ID camps for a kid considering going into I can talk to him relative to my program that's perfect okay so I have three kids that I've been recruiting that I know the school has been allowed me to tell them they're incredible students that if they choose to apply early decision one at WashU they'll get in now that's November one they'll have to make a decision by them what age what, what class are these kids they'll in? be in 24 okay so they're they're graduating 24 so these yeah. guys are uh, they're gonna be seniors, seniors. they're gonna be yeah. seniors. they're gonna be seniors and so they know they'll get in. Now, they're incredible students. None of them are with their first choice. I, I do that for players that I know when I watch them play, these guys would be impact players on any team I ever coached at WashU. That's wow. their level. Okay, so I'm going to go after those kids. Those kids are all incredible students, and we're on their radar because we're a really good school. And they can play soccer there. But we're not their first choice. We are backup. So they're all hearing from different schools, and at the Ivies particularly and things, because that's where they're interested. But nothing's happening yet for them other than communication. And there's a decent chance that they're only backups for some of the schools that they're talking to. And if they land what they want at the Ivies, then these kids are going to be left holding the bag. You know? And so they might say, to, uh, say yeah, you know what? I'm in your place. I'm applying. I'm going to go. And they've all visited already. Okay, so then how does that tie in with the ID camps? So I've gone to other places and, and seen a lot of players right, that I'm right. interacting with. And I'm asking them to get me more game film. I need to watch them more. I'm not really sure about them. And I do want to watch how large my roster is. Our ID camp is the same thing. So I got to watch guys play. There was five or six players that I said, okay, send me game film now. I, was, I liked what I saw, but it's an ID camp. Right. It, it's, it's an ID camp. Can, can I ask you, are they high school or academy players? Uh, I, only, I think most of them are ECNL. I, I don't really know if – I'm sure if they're ECNL, they're playing high school too. Right, right. And, you know, I do know one of them's getting recruited to a couple D1s. They're bringing him in on official visits and things. But I also know that he wants higher academics than those two schools, and they're good schools. With that model that you're speaking of, I'm assuming that you just didn't start that this year, so you have a little bit of a history or some metrics to maybe fall back on. If you're talking about those three players this year, and if that number is equal, if that number is equal in previous years, I, ballpark me. Are you are you landing some of those kids? Yeah, one I year, thirty percent of them. I have you know? a, a wide expanse on my roster. Everybody has their best players, right? And they have their players that are pushing up from the bottom, but they might be really good. But the difference sometimes is a little bit larger. Okay. You know, in, okay, in well said. Players. Yeah. Well, let me let me kind of get to more of a generic question then about 
you know, surrounding this whole topic. And I'm going to take it to the national team level uh, because of, you know, the Women's World Cup is going on currently. The men wrapped up in, uh, you know, just before Christmas. And it's, you know, the women seem to have figured it out uh, from, uh, you know, a national team standpoint, they win. You know, they've won the biggest trophy, period, multiple times. The men continue to struggle in spite of what we've all discussed as kind of a, a new golden age. You know, the quality of the players that we have on the national team, they're good. They are very, very good. They're playing in the top leagues in the world, starting, competing, etc. Um, going back down and kind of creating a string through all of this where where do you where do you put uh the competitive nature uh playing styles is it our is it our geography are we too big do we have uh too many fractured uh playing styles such as you know south southwest plays one style northeast plays another style and then there's you know the midwest st louis style you know wh- where does all this come into play for you uh as far as what you would love to see U.S. soccer do. How do we make it better? Because it seems as if we have an unlimited supply of talent. Where's the disconnect on the men's side, in your opinion? Well, let's let the use the women's program as an example of where the men's program is. Our women, women's soccer, we led the world. Yeah, first, first to the party. Yes, and more women were playing getting to play at a young age, starting to develop in the game. Our country put money into it and developed them. And there was only Norway, maybe Germany, a few that could challenge our women. And, and our women, uh, good credit to Anson, he's a competitor big time, and he put that into those girls, women, and they became winners, and that has really stayed there. But they get, they they are beneficiaries women's soccer is in this country of what those women established and and how important it is to women to play soccer our young girls want to play they want to be that for the men we're like all those other countries that are just trying to catch up you know i mean yes we got a lot of talent look we're not argentina we it's not the same as much soccer as we have going on in this country that is not like growing up in argentina or growing up in brazil or uruguay are in France are those it just isn't the same we're 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 going to practice they're getting up in the morning and playing soccer all day when they're not out in school right and they're doing it all day long all the time it's a big difference well so so then tying in the the whole academy you know because you have academies that all have their own playing styles within their own regions you have the ECNL and high school uh, environment in which a ton of different opinions as to how to play the game, etc. One of the differentiation or, or the uh, uh, major differences, as uh, Jan uh, pointed out in the episode just a few back, is U.S. soccer. You, you know, U.S. soccer as, as, as an entity is extremely hands-off all the way down the pipeline compared to you know, Kane VB or the FA or all these other, you know, federations in these countries that are soccer powerhouses. Do you, do you see, do you see that getting fixed? Do you think U S soccer should step up and say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to partner iron fist. You know, we're going to partner with MLS next first because clearly 
we can all admit that the w- true one percent of talent is there. And it's our domestic league, so and it's financially the gonna, right decision. Yeah, and we're going to create a vertical through that because right now it's not. So, given your experience and you've seen it, you you've been on the field, you've been on the bench for a long, long time, and you've seen what works and doesn't within our pockets of our soccer culture. But you're also very cognizant of the global relevance. You know, you just pointed out it's different in Argentina, it's different in Uruguay. What should or could or would Joe Clark do, given a role at U.S. Soccer, to try and move the needle forward? Well, U.S. Soccer, for a while, and they may still be doing it, they were putting up little 3v3 courts around the country. They were putting them in parks, and, and Dan Flynn was kind of spearheading that. And, and I would love to see that continue at every park you go to instead of just having basketball hoops there. You have some places where kids can go or and pick, play three-on-three soccer. Or pickleball. Or pickleball, or pickleball now. <laughs> and it's, I'm going to stay consistent with what I believe, that when these kids are young, because they love it, because they're doing it with their friends, because they're building passion, there's, there's no coach there all the time telling them what to do. They can still be a part of a team, and a, and a coach can work with them. And, and develop some, but they need to be playing. I West like that Pine we have three v three. The West Pine three v three. It's the mouth. It is. It is. <laughs> you know, if, if <laughs> Billy McDermott, he probably maybe didn't talk about it when he was here. But when you grew up, St. Pilton was my first parish, but yep. we moved out before I was really involved. But they had an upper yard and a lower schoolyard, and and the names that came out of St. Pilton is incredible. Yeah. yeah. But you had a, I don't know which was the main court to play on. But you had to be invited to get to play on the main court. And everybody was up on those two fields playing soccer all the time. And it was that that produced player after player after player out of that environment. I, I, I want to bring us to a topic <clears throat> here in the uh, bottom of the ninth here. Um, specifically, St. Louis. St. Louis culture, our pedigree, our, our relationship with the game historically – Fast forwarding to now, we've you know our MLS team is exceeding everyone's expectation, maybe other than our own here. Um, you know, and, you, and you've you've played all over the country. You you've been every pocket of quote soccer cities across the country. What makes us different here? What makes St. Louis, St. Louis players, St. Louis historically on on the pitch? What makes us different, in your opinion? Well, historically, after the CYC started, I think it was all due to that, like 1947 or whenever that was. And they decided to play sports in the parishes. And they played basketball, baseball, and soccer. And they didn't have football. And you played with your friends. And so everybody growing up through school was playing a lot of soccer. And it it led to this city... um, after 47 because we were still good before that but it it led to the city being really strong and establishing that history that we all refer back to i think now um, we have just a lot of good soccer people that are knowledgeable in the game that give a lot of time to it. generations generations of it and they're helping to develop players and we stay very competitive 
I don't think we have an edge. I don't think we're producing more players now than they are in other cities. Except for Kansas City. It's, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, you heard it here, boys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was that on the bingo card? It was. All I right. think so. I think so. If, if, it, if it's not, it will be. Uh, have you been to a city game? Yeah, I've been to about four or five, yeah. What, what do you think? Uh, they're, it's really exciting. They've done a fantastic – first, I'm really excited about how they've done it. Yeah. professionally with local food and, mm-hmm. and the environment that they've created. I, I think the owners and who's ever managing that operation has done a sensational job, a sensational job. And, and then the team being as competitive as it is, um, the, the whatever they're called, the players, um, Berkey. And then Berkey's been, as we, you guys always talk about, Berkey's, we're winning two to nothing before the game starts. Yeah. That's all there is to it. <laughs> yeah. wow. I mean, is there a better goalie in MLS? No, no. Um, I, I tell you what, that goalie at Miami is going to be pretty good soon. Um, Calendar. <laughs> Wait until yeah. they get those 22-year-olds that come up here yeah, from Argentina. 22s. They might get they a get little Suarez bit more. Suarez or Albi, Albi, uh, Alba, I mean, geez, man. He those, comes in this weekend. Yeah, Alba oh. comes in on Friday. Uh, and I heard they have a spot for Suarez, too. Suarez is coming, I think. And then those 22s. I, I can't mean, wait to beat insane. him in the playoffs here. Because we're going to have home field. Oh, I guess we won't play I mean, until the hypothetically final. Spe- I mean, hypothetically speaking. The only way we'd play them is in the finals. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I apologize. Well, no, no. That, no, that would be the point, though. Look, if Messi squeaks them into the eighth slot, right? They'll run the table. And they and they go through. Can you imagine the scenario here? They're going to be long in the tooth with all the guys that we're talking about. So they got to stay healthy through the summer. Yeah, but, okay. But if, if it's a one-and-done game for all the marbles... And one side has Messi and Busquets and you know, Jordi Alba. And, and, and look, I love your guy from Missouri State, but if we've got Kyle. You know, yeah, Hebert. Yeah. I think it's a little, you know, look. I think Kyle Hebert takes we, him. We do it. He's definitely getting bit. <laughs> Suarez will bite him. That is true. That is true. We could go man up early in that game. Hey, Joe, I tell you what, man. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking some yes. time out to come, to come speak with us. Um I have uh, multiple friends that played for you um, that speak very highly of you. Um, I'm excited to continue to watch and, and keep track of the WashU men's program. Yeah. Um, you are one of those guys that paved the way in this city for lots of young kids. And, and, and I was a young kid at one point and didn't even realize it until I got into the depths of this show. And just thank you. It, 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 just thank you very much. Soccer has been a gift to me. Good Lord's been good to me with the soccer because all my friends are from it and and uh, kept me on slightly straight, <laughs> not real narrow path. But uh, <laughs> it definitely held, ha, enabled me to say no because I was considered a good soccer player. I said no to things that some of my buddies didn't. You know, so I'm always grateful for that. Well, I I, I want to second what Jared said. Thank you very much for your time. This has been awesome. Um, we'd love to have you back. You know, we'll we'll touch base, see how the season goes. And uh, got to play with that guy too. <laughs> Is that Mr. Vanniger? Yeah, it's Mr. Vanniger. Yeah. <laughs> it's a small world. You know, when you're hanging out at Sock Park, you never know. You never right. know. What a fantastic player. What an athlete. Whew. Well, Joe, thank you for your time. Sure. Really Absolutely. appreciate it. Zach, any yeah. close, closing? No, nothing more than what they said other than just for those that are interested in, in Wash U, I think learning more about the program. And if we can promote it in any way possible, I think would be great. So, yeah, we get good. Thank you. We, we get some St. Louis players, you know, on it. So, yeah, apparently it's a bunch of smarties. 
there too. You know? there's, there's some. I try, I try to be quiet on the road trips. Yeah. So, well, I, I, it's been going through my head the whole time here because you know when you when I ask you what do you really look for and you're like I want smart kids. And I'm thinking to myself, you're at Wash U. Oh, aren't that's a good all, answer. But it doesn't all? necessarily transfer to the field. Uh-huh. All right. Well, all right. hey, Thank enjoy you. the rest of your evening. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch. Zach, Jared, thank you. Uh, Pinnacle Loan and Crescent, we really appreciate all your support. And, uh, you know, give us a follow. Give it a share. Uh, we'll be back with more episodes. We're going to roll out with a little camp. Until next time. See you. Oh.